kids were awesome. Yeah. That was so awesome. Also, if any of you guys, especially for for like uh, for the adults, maybe kids, for the parents, if you're looking for any a last minute a Christmas gift. We're going to be selling those little color things, and we're calling it the new fitness craze, the greatest shoulder workout out there, better than Zumba. You can buy those from Cassie, but welcome. We're going to do two things today. Today we're going to celebrate Christmas, which is Jesus' birthday. I had a question I've been kind of considering. If, if, If you don't know, Christmas, it comes from the root word Christ, and Christ is a Greek word. And the, and the Hebrew equivalent is Messiah. So here's the thing that's been plaguing me. If, I, if you're a Jewish Christian, is it really called Messiah-mas? Or should we just call it Jesus-mas? What do you think, kids? Or should we just keep calling it Christmas? Christmas? Okay, we'll call it Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas then. And we're also going to be doing something else. We're going to be starting a new series um, that's going to take us through the whole year. We're going to be looking at the gospel according to John. So if you would open your Bibles up to John chapter 1, we're going to begin a new chapter at our church, and we're going to celebrate Christmas because, as you'll see, this text is very Christmassy. When you you think about the gospel of John, it's such a great uh, gospel account. It's It's his story about who Jesus is. And what Jesus has done and what Jesus has promised. All great things we're going to spend all year. And he begins. Now John is a really close friend of Jesus. He was one of the closest friends of Jesus. He was one of the disciples. And his name was John. He lived a long time. He lived to be about 100 years old. And he writes this letter like at the end of his life. Maybe in his 90s. So he's had all this time where he is telling everybody all of these stories. And then at the end of his life he has it all polished. And he writes it down for us. And the cool thing is, is in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, is called the prologue. And basically, what John does, this great friend of Jesus, this great pastor, this guy who had eyewitness stories about Jesus, um, probably, probably profound and better than anyone else who could tell us who Jesus was, and he starts this this letter off, kind of like you're at Disney. Have you guys ever been to Disneyland? Kids? And, and, and maybe you're at Disneyland, and then at nighttime, what's that thing? What are those things called? They go up, and they're like, and they're real colorful. Fireworks. Basically, John starts off with these fireworks, and he's just like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I want to tell you about Jesus right from the beginning. And so open your Bibles to John chapter 1, and the first thing we're going to do is this. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and I'm going to tell you right now, he's going to start off. He's going to be talking about the Word. He's going to say the word, the word, or the Greek word is logos. And I want you guys to do this. You're going to do some participation. If you thought you were just going to come and listen, you were wrong. Okay? Well, I'm going to read this text, and then I'm going to ask you guys, what does this text say about the word? And then I'm going to give you some, an opportunity to raise your hand and to say it. So pay real close attention. I'll read it, and then we're going to have a conversation together. What, does, what is John saying Right from the beginning about the word. Ready? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. 
What do you guys see in there about the word? Yes. That Jesus is the word. We can imply that. Actually, something cool that I found, it says, in the beginning was the word in verse 1. And then, and then it says, uh, he was in the beginning. All things were made through him. So right away we see that at least this word is a person. And this word is a him. And it, it, it doesn't right, come right out and say, Jesus, it says the word. But we know that word, the word is a person. And we know that the word is a him. What else do you guys see in there? He was with God. And literally, it says, when was he with God? In the beginning. In the beginning, he was with God. Before everything, before everything that was made was made, he was with God. And he was God, it says too, right? The word is God. Who do you guys think that the word is? Kids, anyone have any guesses? Jesus, very good. That's always the answer in church, huh? If you, if you look ahead, John says something profound in verse 14 about the word. He goes, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the son from the father, full of grace and truth. And we know that this is talking about Jesus. Interestingly, he says that in the word became flesh. Jesus became a human. Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us. The Greek word there, dwelt among us, literally could be translated, he pitched a tent with us. He pitched his tent with us. And so the first thing you note is that Jesus is the logos. That's Greek for word. Jesus is the word. And whenever you're looking at, at, at a Bible text and you're trying to understand what does he mean by calling him the word? Why does he call him the word? Here's the way that you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't take our, our, our current English understanding of the word word and say, what can we learn about that? What we have to do is we have to go all the way back to when the original writer, John, is writing. And what did he think about when he thinks about logos? And we can, correct, we can, we can find a, a lot of uh, uh, implication as we look through the Old Testament. If you didn't know this, the Old Testament talks about the word a tremendous amount. And I want to give you three things that in the Old Testament are profound about the word and that Jesus uh, exemplifies perfectly. And letter A is this. The Old Testament we see about the word, the logos, that it is powerful. And we see this in John's account here. He says, it's so powerful. The word is how God created everything that he created. If you look in Genesis 1-3, it says, and God said, he spoke. With his mouth, he spoke words. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Is that powerful? To be able to speak and then things just that didn't exist before started to exist? And we could say, well, maybe it doesn't say the word there. It just says, and God said. Well, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So let's look at what he says in Psalm 33. In Psalm 33, 6, it says, by the word of the Lord. The heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. By the word, God spoke, and it was. I want you to think about how relevant that is to us. What, is, what John is saying is the same Jesus that we follow, the same Jesus that we celebrate Christmas, the same Jesus 
is the Jesus that's so powerful, he spoke and the whole universe came into existence. That is a powerful God. Perhaps you are like many at Christmas time saying Christmas is supposed to be a time of merry and a time of joy and a time of happiness. And yet you're finding yourself in struggle. Maybe you're finding yourself that this is a hard season for you. I think that I want you to know that that you're not alone, but I want to give you this encouragement that Jesus came and the same Jesus that created all of the universe when you call out to him is big enough to walk with you through anything that you go through. There should be great comfort in understanding how powerful our Jesus is. Letter B is this. In the Old Testament, we see with the logos, the word, and it represents revelation, which is how God makes himself known to us. When you look at all of the prophets in the Old Testament, when they speak, they say that God's word came to me and it gave me revelation and I'm sharing to you what God wants to say. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah, who was, was a contemporary of Daniel. Any of you kids ever heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den? At the same time when that Daniel was alive, this Jeremiah guy was alive. And here's what he said in in Jeremiah 1, 4. He said, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, the word of God came to Jeremiah and made known to the people what God wanted to make known to them. Ezekiel was also a, a contemporary of Jeremiah and Daniel. In Ezekiel 33, 7, he says this. He says, so you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. God chose to use people and he spoke his word through people. And what what John is here saying is that Jesus came, the word came and it pitched a tent with us. It dwelt among us. Jesus came to make known who God is. Jesus came to earth to make known something that we would never be able to know on our own, who this God is. And we find a perfect representation of who God is in Christ. But think about this. Put those two together. This God that we celebrate, this Jesus, is so powerful that he created all of the universe. And yet he came and he comes and he pitches a tent with us. He knows every detail of our life. He cares about everything that you care about. He he walks with you through everything. He's so big and he's so loving and he's so right here present with us. This is our Jesus. John starts out his gospel with. The the last thing that we'll look at here, and there are other things that you could find but, but I think one, one prevalent thing in, in the Old Testament about the Logos is that it represents God's deliverance. It represents God's power, how God makes himself known to us, and also how he saves us. In Psalm 107, verse 20, that's written a thousand years before Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Here's what it says. It says, he sent out his word and healed them. And delivered them from their destruction. If you read the before in that psalm, they're crying out to God and saying, my life is a mess. I'm going through a hard time. I need help. And God answers. He says, I send my word. I send my word as the help. I send my word as the deliverance. In Isaiah 55, 11, that's 700 years 
roughly before Jesus dwelt among us. He prophesies and he says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. It's, 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 it's prophesying about Jesus. We're going to see that later on in John, that, he, that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Why did God send Jesus? What was the purpose of why God sent Jesus? It was to save us. It was to deliver us. We'll see that in the text, that God's logos represents how God created everything, how powerful he is, how he makes himself known to us. He wants a relationship with us and how he makes that possible through delivering us, through saving us. What a great opening to this letter. And then he goes on, he says, Jesus is the logos. The next thing he says, also Jesus, this Jesus is the life. In John 1.4, it says, in him, talking about Jesus, in Jesus was life, and the, and the life was the light of men. Some things that, Jesus, that, that John's going to pick up with on this gospel, he keeps talking about this, this light, Jesus is the light, all throughout the whole gospel. In John 3.16, it reveals to us that, that this idea of Jesus being the life, it represents his acceptance. Any of you ever had acceptance issues? I have. I've struggled with acceptance my whole life. One of the worst fears of mine is that I would go into a new environment and get rejected. Maybe, maybe we, we, wouldn't call, we wouldn't say, maybe, maybe you don't think that you have acceptance issues. Maybe you look at it this way. You have rejection issues. I do. I think being, being accepted is, is just one of those needs that we all have as part of being human. Are you accepted? And it's difficult because you can't please everybody, can you? You're always going to have to pick who it is that's most valuable and, and that you can find acceptance. And I would, I would urge you, who is it more important to be accepted by than the God who created everything and who came to pitch a tent with you? It's Jesus. And it represents acceptance. And, and in the way that John... Uh, paints it is so beautiful. He says, I need you to know this. You are so loved by God. Maybe you're going through a hard time and, and you're, I've had seasons of my life where I felt like I was in a crowded room, but still I felt all alone. You know how sometimes the, the loneliness doesn't have to do with it, the fact that there's people around. We live in a crowded world, but it's something deeper. It's something more intimate. And, it, and, and, it, and you need to know this. You are so loved by God. Now, we'll get to the why. You're, you're, not, you're not so loved by God because you, you do everything perfectly. You're not so loved by God because, because, because your, 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 your life is so pleasing, everything that you do is so pleasing to God. No, not, not, not true at all. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came to, 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 to our, where we are at, our real selves, who we are, and he accepts you. Have you ever gone through the thing, well, like someone might offer you acceptance, but then you walk away going, yeah, but if they really knew the real me, there's some things about me that if they knew that, they might not accept me. Isn't it wonderful to know that God knows everything about you and he loves you? That's what John is saying, and it's so 
life-giving. It says in John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. It's through faith, believing. That's what He's saying. Through faith, believing. By grace, He sent Him. It's a free gift. It's through faith, by grace, and then He ends it in Christ. That's where we get this theology. It's all throughout the Bible that the, that, that the center point of the gospel of the good news is that we are saved by, through faith, by grace in Christ alone. And we, and, and we see here that, that, this, that this idea of deliverance and this idea of acceptance fits together perfectly in Jesus. And the next thing we see that the, this idea of life He's going to say it has to do with relationship. Literally, knowing God is life-giving, he's going to say. In John 17, he's going to give us the answer, the eternal answer. What is eternal life? Now, if you're like me, kids, you might have thought this, or maybe adults, you thought this. I've thought this a long time. If you had, if you had asked me, describe, what does eternal life mean? I would have said, it means going to heaven. That's what I thought. I thought eternal life ends when this life it begins when this life ends. Jesus shatters that idea. He says that's not true. That's not, it's true that we have that to look forward to. It's true. Heaven is a reality. But that's not when eternal life begins. Jesus in John 17, 3, he's praying out loud and he says this. He says, in this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Literally saying that, you know what eternal life is? It's having a relationship with God. The best thing about heaven, you know what it's going to be? It's not the pearly gates. It's going to be your relationship with Jesus. The best thing about Christmas is Jesus. The best thing about everything is Jesus. The best thing about eternal life is Jesus. And the best thing about that is it doesn't start when your life ends. For those who believe, it starts the moment you believe. And Jesus comes and he fills a void and he gives you what, what, we, what he calls life. I think we all know that, that, that there's got to be more than life than just taking breaths and waking up in the morning and going to work nine to five for, for Monday through Friday and, and, and thank God it's Friday or YOLO. All of those things fall short of, of, of a fullness in a, in a definition of what is life. And yet we find that in Christ, in Christ alone, that Jesus is life. And lastly, about this life, we see that it represents hope. Believing in Jesus is life giving. Anybody need hope? I need hope all the time when I'm going through a hard time, when things don't look the way that I thought they were going to look, when, when, when things don't make sense and I don't know what's coming next, when I don't know how my struggle is going to get resolved. When I don't know when the sickness that I have is going to get better. When I don't know if the person that I love is ever going to get better. When I don't know, I know him. And I have hope. A lasting, deep, secure hope. And he says, believing in Jesus is literally life-giving. In John 20, he takes the whole... See, he starts off with fireworks. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then he gets all the way like almost to the end. And then in John 20, he goes, oh yeah, wait, this is why I wrote this letter. Usually you do that in the beginning, but John's so excited, I think, 
And he waits till the end and he goes in John 20, 31, he goes, but these are written. The things that I'm writing, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's our theme verse for this year, Remembrance Community Church. So, so get used to it. In his name is where life is found. And we're going to celebrate that all year long and dig into it. And lastly, we see Jesus is the logos. You're starting to see a theme, right? Why didn't he use Jesus as the word if, and all the other ones was English? Because I needed an L word. Jesus is the logos. Jesus is the life. And then we see that Jesus is the light. We'll finish this half of the prologue in John 1, 5 through 9. He says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Did you hear that? He said, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light. That Jesus came, he dwelt among us, he pitched a tent among us. The God who created everything, he can fix anything. And he loves us. And he wants a relationship with us. And he fills something within us that's broken and missing. He fills that. He calls it life. And he says, he says, and he came in the darkness. Maybe your life has some darkness. Jesus isn't afraid of that. That's the place where Jesus will go. You ever had a place where your parents told you, don't go there. And if you do go there, roll up all the windows and lock the doors. Jesus goes into those places in your life. Jesus is not afraid of whatever it is that you're afraid of everyone else finding out about you. He is not afraid. That's what he comes to. He comes to my darkness. And he loves me there and walks me out of it. And I love the fact it says Jesus came into the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Have you guys ever watch the news or, or go or, or make these statements? And, and don't make, I, I don't want to make these. Well, the world's getting so bad. I, I, it's getting so dark. Well, guess what? Jesus came into the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. And will never overcome it. I love that. I guess I'm the most uh, loving of that. But the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I love that. And then he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness. Any of you guys ever heard of John the Baptizer? John the Baptist? He was a super weird dude that shopped at Urban Outfitters. He had a camel belt and he ate locusts and stuff like that. I don't know if it was chocolate covered locusts or not. I saw those the other day. I don't know what it was, but it was weird. And, and, he, and he, he dressed in the same type of attire as Elijah. And at the time when he was doing that, nobody did that. It was like way retro vintage ahead of his time. And, and, and he was out in the wilderness. And his whole purpose in life was to tell people about Jesus. And guess what? John the Baptist, we're going to look at that more next week and the week after. John the Baptist is our example of how to deal with this light. We exist to show people the light. It says, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. That's our passion. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And then it says something profound about the light, who is Jesus. It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus is the true 
light. Any of you guys love lights at Christmas time? I like putting lights on my Christmas tree. I like putting lights on my house. I like driving through Candy Cane Lane and looking at all the lights. <laughs> I just love lights. <clears throat> and Jesus is the best light. Whenever, <clears throat> whenever you guys look at lights this Christmas, just, I, just, I, just, I just challenge you, look up and thank Jesus for being our light. And what does that actually mean in Scripture? There's some things that light represents that I think John wants us to understand about Jesus. Letter A is this. Light in the Bible represents God's presence. That Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. Literally in John 1.14 we see that, right? He, and the word Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us. He pitched a tent with us. His presence was with us. Jesus is with us. One of my favorite Old Testament uh, 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 texts about the light and understanding how a Jewish person like John would have understand this concept of light is in the Leviticus 24.2. The best Christmas uh, verses are always in Leviticus. <laughs> Leviticus 24.2, he says this. This is Moses speaking. He goes, command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning regularly. If you don't understand how profound that is, let me share it with you. He says to these Old Testament people, Moses says, what I want you to do is I want you to get a lamp. Now, a lamp was like a bowl, and, and it didn't, it, you didn't replace it with batteries. You had to put oil in it. You had to keep it lit. And if you don't understand, back in those days, how hard it was to light oil... It would have taken a while. It wasn't easy. If that thing goes out, it would have been a problem. And you had to keep it burning all the time. Because they, didn't be able, they couldn't flip on a switch and the lights came on. They needed the lights to go on. But even more than that, it was at the temple. And it was a direct representation of God's presence being with them when the lamp was burning. It represented God's presence being with them. And he says something profound. He teaches us. Something profound in this, that it is your responsibility as the people of God to take your lamp and make sure that there's regularly a specific type of oil beaten from olives. You can't just go down to Smart and Final and buy it in bulk. You had to beat it from olives. And you had to put it in this bowl. And, and, and experts will tell you that most of these bowls, like, like they had, it would only last for probably like eight, not even a whole day. You would have to do this regularly on a consistent basis, even multiple times a day. Keep the lamp burning. It's your job. Keep the lamp burning. I would say this, and if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Jesus came at great cost to himself. Jesus came to earth at great cost to himself so that we could freely go to him. And find grace. And this Old Testament picture, it reminds us that it is our job to cultivate that. It is our job to keep the, our lamp burning. It is Jesus comes to us, but he also asks us to come to him regularly. We have a responsibility to keep our light burning. Matter of fact, in Revelation 2, if you read that, it's also John writing. It tells the church in Ephesus, he says, one thing I have against you, you've lost your first love. And if you don't return to your first love, I will let your lamp go out. Us, 
recognizing who Jesus is, the fact that he loves us, letting that transform our lives into the way that we start to love him and keeping that cultivated and burning. And hear this, it takes a, a village. It takes people. You notice right in the beginning, uh, John plants John the Baptist in here, and he says, God oftentimes will use people to point you to Jesus. And he'll use you to point others to Jesus. And it represents God's presence. It also represents God's guidance. Any of you guys hate making decisions like me? I hate when I get to a place in my life where I have to make a decision and I don't know which way to go. And it's like this weight that I just want to like, I just want to like, 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 God, why can't you make it clear? And God's guidance is represented in light. Most of you guys know in, in Psalm 119, it says, the word is a lamp unto our feet. It's how God guides us. John will say in, in, in chapter 8, he says it like this. He says, John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's a promise in that, that when we follow Jesus, he's going he's gonna to guide us. Anyone, ever, anyone figured out that he doesn't always do it the way that you want him to? <laughs> he doesn't always do it the way that you want him to. He doesn't always make it as clear as you want him to. But he always knows how to guide us. Maybe we just need to submit. Maybe we just need to surrender. Maybe we need, need to just say, Jesus, I don't need to know all the answers. I just trust you. And let that weight go on Jesus, who is the light, who is our guidance. And lastly, we see that the light in the Bible represents God's favor. That Jesus is for us. When, 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 when in Revelation 2, it, it indicates that if you lose your first love and you don't return to your first love, I'm going to remove my lamp to you. It's a representation of his favor, of his being with them, of his working through them. And he, he knew they don't want that. You don't want to be without Jesus. In Numbers 6.24, we'll have the worship team come back up. In Numbers 6.24, Moses says something profound, I think, about this and the light. He says this, he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious, gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus Christ, the light came into the world and he came to give us peace. He came to make good favor with men. He came to reconcile us to God. To give us a, a relationship with God. He came to give us life. He came to give us guidance. He came to give us acceptance. He came to give us all of these things. And I love that. I don't know what would be better to focus on on Christmas. Maybe you came in here and you're like, There's, I'm just stressed out. I can't figure out what to do with this last gift solution. I don't know how to pay these bills. I don't know what to do with work. I don't know what to do with my family stuff. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Maybe you came in with a focus. I don't, under, I don't know what to do. May I just give you this gift? Let's fix our gaze on Jesus, who created everything. I don't know what your problem are. They're probably really big to you, and they're probably really big to me. But I would imagine that if you're Jesus, they're not that big. They're not too big. 
And I love the fact that he knows that they're big to you, and he loves you right there. He doesn't say, don't act like they're not big. He doesn't do that. He says, I know they're big to you. Guess what? I'm coming over, and I'm pitching my tent with you. And I'm going to hang out with you while you go through it. And I'm going to walk with you through it. And I'm going to love you through it. And I'm going I'm to give you hope and life. So as we, as we prepare to worship, here's, here's my thoughts. Let's focus on Jesus. As we look at this prologue, all the things that we've looked at with Jesus, I don't know how that hits you. We've said a lot about Jesus, and I don't know what particular has hit you, but I think you probably do. And I think the Holy Spirit knows. Maybe you're going through a really hard time, and you just need to have Jesus pitch a tent right here in worship with you and say, hold me through this hard time. And maybe you've lost hope. I've gone to at least three times in my life where I, I made this statement. I don't even know what hope looks like anymore. I don't even know what it looks like to hope. Hope for what? Maybe if you're in that place, you just need Jesus to come and pitch a tent with you and walk you through that. Or maybe, maybe you've gotten so busy with life and you've lost your first love. And maybe he's just wooing you back and saying, you know what? At Christmas time, you know what the Christmas miracle is going to be for you? Just get back right with me. Just get drawn near to me. Just let me love you. Let me spend Christmas with you. And so whatever it is that God has for you, Merry Christmas. And let's stand to our feet and let's worship this great God. Thank you.